welcome Tales of Core listeners. I'd like to welcome you back to another episode. I believe it's episode 45, the big four or five. Kind of a little treat today. I was <clears throat> online cleaning out some old disk space and I came across an old training series that I had done with a very good friend of mine in ministry, Adrian Powell. Um, this was part of her passion to put together a training series for ministers on the streets here in Northern California. And her thing was Kingdom Life Discipleship. That was the school she was putting together. And we did that probably about probably a year before COVID hit, and that kind of changed things. But what we did is we did a test run of the class. We put together material. We put together just a quick run-through of videotaping it, see what it sounded like, and things like that. And it kind of got shelved. I don't think it should got shelved. There was good material there because Adrian is an excellent prophet. She's highly trained in... Um, spiritual healing. I know she went and worked with um, Joanne Hunter, whoever is out there in, in Texas. And so, yeah, Adrian was just a cool pal of mine. We did all sorts of crazy stuff in street ministry with the homeless. And we were always dialed in on the streets and had some just amazing, accurate stuff and prophetic ministry and words of wisdom. We work with the homeless people and then getting them encouraged to, you know, change their lives and go out there. So it was a very cool season of my life to be able to work with her and I think we both miss those time when the streets work together because the spiritual stuff was just off the hook. It was dumbfounded. We were always dumbfounded at what was going on. We didn't know what was happening next. I don't know if we spent more time laughing hysterically at some of the crazy stuff Jesus and the Holy Spirit do on the streets or if, you know, we were like, wow, what just happened to us? Anyhow, we decided to put training together, you know, so it was, I think this was a very brilliant idea of hers to train people. And to make it local, that there was local ministers training and equipping local ministers. And like I said, this kind of got shelved. But as I was cleaning out some old hard drive space, I came across this. And what was the era of this one? Um, let me see here. I have it down to December 3rd, 2017. So doing the Wayback Machine, Mike. This is Future Mike here speaking. And we're going to go backwards in time. And I'm going to show you. Some of the things from the past we had in 2013. This is kind of cool because I get to see myself and what I was piecing together and how I thought a lot of spirituality worked. Like I said, as you grow, different pieces come together. I'm going to start talking about a lot of differences in deliverance, exorcism, and the heavenly realms. And if you're really interested in this material, I tied it all together in a recent publication from last year, which is Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. That ties together all the stuff about principalities and heavenly realms and stuff we talk about in this video, it's just I wasn't aware I was going to write this book back in 2021, right? The other book you want to pick up, too, is A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare. There's a black book. A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare is the black book. That's a good book to pick up. But more topics I talk about during this session probably came out of A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare. And these all three of these books you can pick up on my website at www.afg. Number two, SW.com. It stands for a field guide to spiritual warfare.com. It's an acronym, right? I came out of high tech. I got an acronym everything. Anyhow, this is just some cool stuff. Um, like I said, I miss the times working with Adrian. I know COVID really put a divergence in uh, stuff working together, and I haven't really seen her. She's been busy as a nurse. And this is about 2022 now. I'm speaking of August 10th, 2022. Anyhow, with no further ado, let's roll that bean footage. And this was Adrian's production 
for, uh, like I said, this is called the pilot, like the pilots I've never seen, like we're going to see the Star Trek, the unseen pilot. This is the unseen pilot from Kingdom Life Discipleship. Adrian's baby, her pet class. I hope she puts this back together because there was a lot of good information from the people involved. And Mike, roll that bean footage. I'd like to welcome everybody here to the Kingdom Discipleship um, training courses that are being offered. I am Michael Norton. Um, I work with uh, M16 Ministries, which is my ministry. I work in spiritual warfare. Um, I also work as a counselor for survivors of ritual abuse, which is pretty much my full-time position in ministry now. And um, I'm here to speak on spiritual authority. And the title of this particular class right now is Spiritual Authority. I call it the Spiritual Charismas of Casting Out Demons, Heal the Sick, and Raise the Dead. This is going to be um, somewhat of a, a different course in the manner of what we think of spiritual authority. Because what I want you to get from out of this class is I call what I call the spiritual aha moment. Many people, when they go deal with demonic or they deal with healing or they deal with any other case that Jesus brings in front of them, we always tend to outsource our spiritual warfare or we outsource our healing ministry. But the same anointing was poured out on you, of the Holy Spirit that's poured out on everybody, whether it's a healer, it's a conference speaker, or whether it's just somebody out in the streets doing healing. Um, just what I'm trying to get you to do is not outsource this, this thing anymore. Um, embrace your spiritual authority. So why do we need spiritual authority? Pretty much, since the dawn of man, we've been raised up in a spiritual warfare. Um, since man's existence from the Garden of Eden uh, up to the present and into the future, until Jesus Christ returns, all of mankind's living in a spiritual war that's of satanic angels raging against God's kingdom. And it's unsuccessfully tried to bring it down. So look at Ephesians 6, 12 through 13. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up your full armor of God, so you'll be able to resist the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. What's interesting about Ephesians 6, 12 through 13, many times in spiritual warfare and in church, it's misinterpreted as a war against demons. That's not what this is saying. When we talk about demonic, we're talking about usually terrestrial um, spirits that were cast down from heaven. They're fallen angels. We call them low-level grunt demons. What Ephesians 6.12 is talking about, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, and against forces is darkness. And it talks about it's in heavenly places. Well, where is this heaven if it's not on earth? And if it's not the heaven we think of of God, the third heaven. We know from Paul that God's throne sits in the third heaven. Um, I like what Derek Prince um, elaborated in reasoning was, um, if there's a third heaven, then by golly, there must be a second heaven. And that's where Satan set up his satanic um, realm. And it's for this reason we put on the armor of God to protect us. So keep in mind that we use our spiritual authority. There's a war raging against God in heaven, and it's against us down here on earth. And we're just um, using our armor of God to protect us. So what I want to talk about, too, is when we have spiritual authority, we're going to see we have places where we have what's called dominion and places where we have limitations. And I'm going to discuss the different levels of where these things happen at. First of all, I want to talk about dominion. God created man to have dominion, which means to co-rule over the earth with him. Eve received dominion through Adam's headship. So in other words, Adam and Eve were given dominion to rule over the earth. And dominion is a legal term, which means the right to govern. If we look at Genesis 1, 26 through 27, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them rule over the fish, the sea, and over the birds and sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth. 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. So what we're looking at is from the very beginning of the garden, we were created with dominion to rule over the earth. And somewhere along the way during the fall, we lost our dominion. How'd that happen? Well, Adam and Eve sinned against God, and they went and ate from the tree of, good of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We essentially usurped our, our authority over to Satan. So God, Adam and Eve lost their dominion, their right to rule, when they rebelled against God's commandment. Through their fall into sin, Adam and Eve then yielded to Satan and handed their dominion over to him. Through sin, man became a cursed fallen creature. So now we have a situation where we, we've fallen and we handed our dominion over to or the enemy. So spiritual authority here. When Jesus entered into his, his ministry, he demonstrated his power to command all angelic and demonic spiritual beings. So Jesus is God, God incarnate. He already had dominion in the heavenly places over all his creation, spiritual creation. That included both demonic and the angelic. When Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan, Jesus revealed his heavenly position. Remember that Satan was tempting Jesus to hand over his, his authority to, to him. And in Luke 4, 6-8, the devil said to him, I will give you this, all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to you to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus responded to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we see in Luke 4 that Jesus establishes who's in charge, even as uh, Satan tries to have him hand his authority over to him, which was another failed attempt by, by Satan. As another place in the Bible, in Matthew 8, 28 through 32, we see Jesus' authority. It was a legion of demons in the Gadarenes. Um, demoniacs recognizes Jesus as God incarnate. In Matthew 8, 28 through 32, when he came to the other side of the country, the, the, the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him, as they were coming out of the tombs, they were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at the distance before them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are God, going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went to the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. So we see from this, this encounter, too, there was a legion of demons and these two demoniacs that approached Jesus, and they recognized his spiritual authority. They saw it right away. They didn't question it. They know he had it, that he was the God incarnate. So Jesus also, during his ministry, we see that he gave his disciples the authority for kingdom work. In Matthew 10, verses 7 through 8, it says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely receive, freely you give. So the authority bestowed upon us, authority is the power to command or demand obedience from others. Jesus, in these verses, gave us the authority to pull power down from heaven for the following. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. I just want to interject a term right here, too, that the church isn't quite aware of, but it's actually there. And I'll point out how it is, but it's, it's very subtle. When we, the disciples, cast out demons through deliverance, it's something called low-level demonic deliverance. And I'll expand more upon this. So when we go to a church service or something, maybe, uh, there may be some demonic presence in a person, 
or commanding it to leave. This is what's known as low-level demonic deliverance. We're just using our authority to command a spirit to leave. There are different layers of this, um, these authorities and these prayers, and we'll talk about this. But I want to address right now low-level demonic deliverance and spiritual authority because I want to discuss what's called a prayer posture. Um, Jesus gave us authority over the demonic, sickness, death on this earth. These are not petitioning prayers like we usually do. Oh, dear Jesus, please help this person. Oh, dear Jesus, please, you know, cast that demon out of that person. There are times and places for this. I'm going to explain this. But when we use our spiritual authority, it's a different prayer posture. We're not petitioning Jesus. We're commanding something to happen. So if we see a spirit manifesting in a person, um, and we say, in the authority of Jesus Christ, I bind you. We're not talking to Jesus. We already have the power through Jesus. I bind you and I command you to leave. That's a different prayer posture we're commanding now. Remember, this is, this is, this is our authority. We command it to leave. We're dealing with sickness, cancer. I command you to leave the body. Um, it's a different prayer posture. Yeah, we're going to petition Jesus to heal a person. But during that time during battle, we have the terrestrial authority to make things leave, the command to leave. Dead raising, the same thing. Um, if you look at uh, different things like how Jesus um, went and healed people, it was he told people like Lazarus to walk, or what was the young woman, I can't remember her name, was get up and walk. He told her to get up and leave. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus come do this. It was a command. And that's the prayer posture we use when we use it for um, low-level demonic deliverance. We use it for healing, or we use it for, for dead raising. This does happen. Um, I just got back from Cambodia a week ago, and I already had um, testimonies from people who were tribal leaders who actually had to deal with dead raising. Um, they had a person they said was literally gray. He was dead. He was dead for a week. And they commanded him to get up, and he did. And many times it was for the conversion of a whole Buddhist um, tribe to come to Jesus. So... And he said the guy just like, you know, he was still gray when he got up and he started getting his color back. So it's crazy stuff. This happens. It's real. And it's how you use it. So there are limitations of spiritual authority. Our spiritual authority is terrestrial. It's limited to the physical universe and does not extend into heavenly places. Um, we know this through Genesis 2, Mark 9, and Jude 8 through 10. I'm going to expand upon these. So I just don't leave you hanging here. Um, there's something I've seen, too, it's very important, a very critical component to exercising spiritual authority. And that critical component is, boils down to who you are in Christ. Who are you? Spiritual authority is about who you are in Christ and do you believe Jesus is going to do something. There are two ways I've seen deliverance ministers operate. The first one is, I call it operating from the soul, which is operating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What is that? So the tree of knowledge has good and evil. Any good that doesn't come from God comes from the good of good and evil. So what do I mean by this? So we're all trapped into this early on deliverance ministry. I kind of call it planning ahead like a lawyer. You bring all your prayers you need to show up and do battle. I did this a lot. I brought books with me on curse breakings and everything. Um, to me, that was operating out of fear. It wasn't operating out of just showing up and letting Jesus do something. So a lot of times we see um, people like paranormal and people in um, churches now calling themselves demonologists. And they're operating out, they're bringing all these prayers, bringing all this stuff. It's almost like they're pre presenting a court case rather than using their spiritual authority, if that makes sense. And I'll present the difference here. So you don't want to come as a demonologist, you want to come as a Christologist. What does that mean? You're operating from the spirit, from the tree of life. You just show up and believe Jesus is going to do something. Um, my profession right now is I work daily battling the occult. I have a Bible on my phone, that's what I show up with. I have some anointing oil at the office in case I need it. I just show up. I can't plan for these things. There's so many battles, I can't plan for them. I just show up. Jesus got it covered. 
And that's the one thing I have to enforce too, the people are being healed. A lot of times they'll say, well, you know, I need this person to come pray for me. And this person, I go, well, where's your faith in Jesus? Is Jesus going to heal you? Are you going to go see your doctor? Or are you going to have somebody else heal you? Where's your healing coming from? And once we are on the same page, we start seeing healing happen. So I want to emphasize that too for people who are going from deliverance ministry to deliverance ministry to be healed. If you have a track record, start looking at who you are in Christ. Um, because the enemy really cuts into this. And I know I'm sidetracking right now. <laughs> the enemy really cuts into people who think they're not being healed because they're not connecting with who they are in Christ. So what happens is when they don't get healed, the enemy comes in and goes, Jesus is going to heal you. You're wasting your time here. You're, or other, they send other people to you saying, hey, you're unforgiven, which, you know, blow that one off. It's not because of unforgiveness. A lot of times start looking at who you are in Christ. When I work with people that haven't been healed yet, they've actually plateaued. They're not in a really good peak place or a big joyful place with Jesus. They plateaued somewhere, buying into the fact that Jesus isn't going to help them. And what you're starting to do is you're starting to fear and you're starting to, some part of you is starting to hate Jesus for not being healed. So it's just things you've got to look at in healing. There's both sides of this. Um, the other thing I want to discuss too is more of a, a, a Catholic term. I think it's kind of cool. But it explains things. It helps you fill the gap. This is called charismas. In order for the saved believer to move in supernatural power for ministry, God graces us with spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. It is God who bestows these gifts and is he who does so at his own discretion. What do I mean by that? You may have people that have visions and some people don't. You may have people that see angels, some people don't. Or you may have people that just work in different anointings and others don't. Because each of our relationships with Jesus are different. And a lot of people ask me to say, well, I want to pray to see spirits. First of all, you don't want to see them. You don't want to see them. But they think it's a cool thing now because a lot of different ministers are getting on the high kick. I know a lot of them might not be honest in their abilities about seeing spirits because most of them I know really see it like us. We don't want to see them. Um, but it's a grace from God. It came from God. We didn't ask for it, but God gave us the grace of that charisma to use for battle. Um, so it's a supernatural gift from the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives to you for fulfilling a mission that you have in the church. If that makes sense. That's a charisma. Um, some people have a charisma to heal. Um, I've prayed and healed for people. I've prayed lots of times. Many people didn't heal, but I've also prayed for lots of people. I've seen bones heal. I wouldn't consider myself to have a gift of operating healing, but I've seen it. But I've known people just operate way out of their extent, seen tons and tons of healings. They pray for people. I call it a charisma, right? There's certain grantings, certain anointings. This happens. So if we look at Luke 10, 17 through 20, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons subject us to your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to trail on serpents, scorpions, all over the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice your names recorded in heaven. So what he's talking about here is we're going back to your, who you are in Christ and charismas and gifts he's bestowed upon you. And that's what these people were seeing. They were given a charisma to cast out demons. Sometimes it goes all out to the church, like we're given the authority to cast out demons. Or sometimes some charisma may just be more active in one person or another than it is another. That's okay. That's how the Holy Spirit disperses it. So if we look at um, Luke 10 again. So Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They came back excited. I kind of call this an aha moment. A lot of you people, when you start working in spiritual warfare... Don't push yourself into getting the aha moment. Pray for the Holy Spirit for the right time to lead you into it. That's kind of what we did with me. I've been, 
I've been taken through lots of stuff through baby steps. I never really asked for anything. It's kind of like a season opened up before me. If God wants you in this ministry, he's going to reveal this stuff to you. That's another charisma or grace. That's what happened with um, the 70 here, you know. They were surprised. It was an aha moment. They probably didn't think they can cast out demons before because only the apostles could do that. And all of a sudden here they were doing it. So it's just a moment you see where you're exercising your charismas or your powers uh, that God's bestowed upon you or your gifts for healing or, or, or demonic um, kicking out demons. So once we covered this, deliverance ministry. So we know that the ministry of deliverance is expelling of demons through spiritual authority and faith of the believer. Deliverance again casts out low-level demons that entered through open doors of sin and generational curses. Again, a low-level demonic we're looking at are the low-level, I call them the grunt demons. They're, um, they're not high up, they're not principalities, they're not rulers, they're foot soldiers. And a lot of them have been cast down to this earth and they're roaming around here. And we call it low-level demonic deliverance. Um, there are higher-level spirits, higher-level demons, and there's also satanic angels. And I'm going to discuss a little bit later down the road what the difference is, but deliverance does not cover that part. It's merely for the low-level demonic deliverance um, spirits that show up, like maybe at church or maybe on the streets doing ministry. You'll see something manifest. Those are low-level demons that show up. Many of the times are low-level de demons. Um, the difference is, um, and I'll explain later, is when you start dealing with the occult, or battles against the occult, or somebody that's been involved with witchcraft or dabbling, you may be shifting out low-level demonic deliverance into higher-level demons because blood rituals were done and things like that. So that, let me get the difference here. So think about generational curses or just somebody opens some door to something and there's a spirit there and it needs to leave. Um, for instance, and I'll throw this out there, because one thing I always commonly see like with um, people came out of Mormonism, there's always a spirit of Mormonism in there and they know it, which is crazy. And that's, that's a low-level demon. We just go cast it out. You know, just lay hands on him, pray over him, and it just starts coming up and we cast it out to leave. That would be a low-level demonic deliverance because they thought they were going with Jesus and doing something, but it's actually a sin because it's not God. It's an abomination. But they weren't doing rituals. They weren't doing this stuff. So that would be a low-level demon to cast out. So again, prayer posture for deliverance is, again, like spiritual authority. The believer in Christ uses spiritual authority and commands the oppression to leave. Example being, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind you and I command you to leave. So deliverance is a charisma for all believers to battle unclean spirits. Just a side note here too. If you're stepping into the deliverance ministry, and this is going to be a whole other topic, I can't really cover it yet, but you've got to step into spiritual discernment. Um, spiritual discernment is not going, oh, I see a demon on that person. That's not spiritual discernment. Like I again said before, many of the people I worked with who were saying they were seeing it, I've seen God shift stuff into my, my reality every now and then, and when they said they saw something, I didn't even feel something or see something, nor was a manifestation. So sometimes new deliverance ministers or some people big ministries sometimes falsify their findings. So be careful of that. What I'm talking about is when you are doing deliverance and you're commanding the spirit to leave, just take the time to feel it in your head, the pressure in your chest, pressure in your stomach. Many times that's deliverance. Um, you don't have to have a name for the spirit either. That's another thing that most people try to do. You don't need to have a name for the Spirit. Just in the name of Jesus, I bind you and command you to leave. And many times you look at the, the, the behavior the Spirit's exhibiting. Like, um, if it's Spirit of Lust, Spirit of Lust go, whatever it is. You don't need the name of the demon. Sometimes that's dangerous because it brings something else in. So we'll talk about it a little bit later too. Anyhow, that's where I'm capping off with low-level demonic deliverance. So... Is it biblical, and is there something else beyond low-level demonic deliverance? Um, in the Bible, we look at the book of Mark. 
Um, I'm going to start talking on a topic of exorcism. It's kind of confusing because I know I come from the Assembly of God background and my pastors I work with use the term deliverance and exorcism interchangeably. This is wrong. Deliverance is for the little demonic demons. Exorcism is for stuff way up the food chain. Um, the book of Mark records an interesting testimony where the apostles were unable to successfully cast out a demon of a boy. The apostles involved in this deliverance ministry session were notably shaken by this incident. Mark 9 documents exorcism ministry and not a low-level demonic deliverance. So we'll back up again. If we know about the, the story of the boy in Mark 9 who was throwing himself in the fire, was shaking violently, and the apostles came down, and they were trying to cast his demon out. Now, if we think about all the miracles the apostles have been through, they've seen quite a bit in healing. They were very confident what they were doing. Um, I think the text kind of makes them look like fools. They weren't. They knew what they were doing at this time, and that's why they're perplexed. Something else in the food chain showed up that was out of their dominion, and Jesus had to take care of it. And so it finally took Jesus to cast it out. So Mark 9, 28 through 29, after this exorcism occurred by Jesus, um, we see when, he, when Jesus came into the house, the disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So suddenly, we've switched our prayer posture. What Jesus is talking about is petitioning prayer. So if you see the difference before, the apostles were using a prayer posture of spiritual authority. Leave. The thing wouldn't leave. Why the difference? Most likely, whatever happened to this boy and it wasn't covered, he could have been used in the occult in some way. Or he'd been involved in the occult or something. Maybe his dad used him for something. Or something very dark entered that was um, either angelic or very high up on the demonic food chain. And so the, the apostles themselves were able to cast it out. So the prayer posture for exorcism, Jesus presented a higher level of spiritual warfare which requires petitioning prayer for liberation of severely oppressed or possessed souls, what we now call the ministry of exorcism. Liberating a soul from a cult typically requires an exorcism, which is possessions by high-level demons, satanic angels, where rituals have taken place and falls under the jurisdiction of exorcism ministry. So we know the Catholics, they're... they're they pretty much own this. When we ever mention exorcism, we always think of a Catholic priest. So Catholics petition Jesus and saints by using the rite of exorcism. That's a special ritual that they have set up to cast out demons. I know as of lately, the Protestants are finally getting on the bandwagon for exorcism. We finally figured out that there's not, there's something different between deliverance ministry and something higher up. However, we're not Catholics. Um, when I'm called in to do exorcisms, I don't use the ritual but I do use intercession and deep petitioning prayer with Jesus to cast out the Spirit. I'm going to claim right here, deliverance ministry is, a, again, a charisma for all believers. That's for all believers to participate in. Exorcism is not for all believers. Um, and God raises people up because of the dangers involved with this. This thing gets very dangerous. When you get in a fight with a high-level satanic angel, they're trying to kill the person in front of you. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, I brought people in. I thought they were at the right level to come see this, and they ran out because they were freaked out. So the Holy Spirit raises up ministers and graces and raises up the exorcists. So what happens if you get to this level of warfare, go find yourself one, whether it's from the Catholic Church or Protestants. We're all kind of networked now. We know who each other are if you try to look one up. Do not go to a paranormal site to look one up. These are not exorcists. They make problems worse, and most likely they get possessed, and you get possessed with them. It's a nasty battle. You've got to have people up and trained to do this where the Holy Spirit raised up. It's almost a lifestyle to deal with this. So we look at these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they'll cast out demons. This power, which is charisma, which Jesus granted to all of us who believe in him, is still fully effective. 
It is a general power based on prayer and faith. It can be exercised by individuals or communities. Again, this is deliverance ministry. It is always available and does not require special authorization from the Catholic Church. However, we must make it clear that in this case, we are talking about the prayers of deliverance and not of exorcism. And that's a quote from Gabriel Amorth, the Roman Catholic exorcist who just died. That He also distinctly made a, uh, a dichotomy between deliverance ministry and exorcism. So if you get to the point where it's a really all-out battle, um, it's time to look up somebody that, and a team that knows what they're doing. And you can get trained up in it, but just don't take it on your own. It's extremely dangerous. In fact, for the longest time, Roman Catholic exorcists wouldn't talk with me until my ministry was proven. And they saw track records approved. Then they kind of sort of started talking to me because we really don't share information at that level because it's so dangerous. So that's just something to keep in mind. So deliverance ministry for all the saints, exorcism, it's for certain offices in the church that have been set aside for it. Okay, so we're moving farther up the food chain now. So I want to start talking about battles in the heavenly realms. What do we do here? What is a battle in the heavenly realm? Many times, you'll see like intercessors who want to pray over regions. And I hear these stories, I'm battling in the heavenly realms, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And all of a sudden they're getting really sick. You know, what's going on? It's, they've stepped out of their jurisdiction of spiritual authority. Remember, our charisma for spiritual authority is limited to terrestrial. It's limited to our physical reality. When we step into heavenly realms, we're stepping out of our, our spiritual authority. So many common, popular charismatic church teachings instruct prayer to sharpen their swords in the second heavens. This teaching is very dangerous. John Paul Jackson's book, Needless Casualties of War, tells us of the dangers and tragedies church have encountered in battling the second heaven. John Paul Jackson explained his dream of, from God that warring the second heavens was like throwing hatchets at the moon. So that's basically, yeah, that was a pretty cool metaphor John Paul Jackson came up with. If you imagine battling some principality, it's just like you're throwing a hatchet at the moon, it's never going to get there. It's just going to either fall back on you or, or something else. So what do we do? First of all, when it comes to warfare in the heavenly places, who owns the heavens? Heavens belong to Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible are we given instructions to conduct warfare in the heavenly realms. Jesus, when he instructed us how to pray, went to Matthew 6. This is how you pray. There's no instructions there about battling the heavenly realms. Second, that heavens and angels belong to Jesus. Psalm 115.16 outlines the dominion of man to be terrestrial, and heavens belong to God. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. So my experience, it's, what do we do here? If we're dealing with angelic beings who are like, when we're dealing with Satanism, or we're dealing with high-level demonic demons that go back and forth to the second heaven, how do we deal with those? Because John Paul Jackson's all stay out. Well, for one, we're now having another dichotomy. If we're an intercessor, we stay out of the heavenly realms altogether. But if we're in the warfare of the occult, again, it takes special people who already know how to handle this. There's certain protocols we'll go through here in a minute. Before I go to the protocols, I want to address one other thing, too. And again, it was something else that came up. Um, I've heard it quite a bit in my, my charismatic circles. It's called partnering with angels. We don't partner with angels. This is dangerous spiritual warfare. God alone commands his angels. Psalm 103, 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. In 2 Corinthians, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What am I addressing here? There have been deliverance ministers who have partnered with angels and got possessed. Because 
who answered the call, rather than going straight to Jesus for using their spiritual authority, they had angels fool them. And over time, these higher level angels were kicking out demons, and at the same time, they're possessing the, the deliverance minister. I've also seen it in um, ritual abuse survivors doing ministry like this. It's, you've got to be very careful how you partner with angels. The way I partner with angels is I just pray to Jesus and release him to fight the battle any way he wants. Sometimes we operate in pride when I tell Jesus how to win the war. Don't do that. I have some crazy stories that are probably beyond this topic right now of how he resolves stuff because God knows how to fight the battle better than I can. Some really crazy stories. So it's not against, against partnering with angels. It's how the church is partnering with angels to get them in trouble. Um, because I have a ton of angelic stories, but it's because I was partnering with Jesus and not with the angelic. That's the safest way to run these battles. Let him do it. You'll see angelic. You'll see other stuff running around, but it is Jesus that commands them. Another thing I need to address, too, um, when dealing with angels, a lot of times in the church now, we try to bind Satan. And that's, I don't know how that got in the church. It's misnomer, probably because we try to think of him as demonic. He's not demonic. He's the highest possible ranking angel ever. And God doesn't remove ranks. God doesn't remove powers. God's going to destroy him in the end times. But right now, Satan is the highest ranking angel. He's a satanic angel, too. He's the highest ranking angel in his, his, his realm. So we are lesser than angels. We can't bind angels. And let alone, we don't go after the highest ranking angel or any of his high-ranking angels. We must be extremely careful how we pray at this warfare. We don't bind any satanic angels. This includes principalities. So what do we do? So if you're, again, if you're dealing with the occult, you're dealing with some high-level stuff, Jude 8 through 10 gives us the protocols on how to do heavenly warfare. We do not revile angelic beings. Some supernatural schools of ministry teach to mock or laugh at Satan while praying for healing. This is another dangerous practice. I don't know if some of you have seen this, like, we'll be praying for healing, and like some schools of ministry have been taught, like, ha, 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 Satan. You don't want to, that's, that's reviling a satanic angel. We don't do that. Um, and it's called out Jude 8 through 10. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. So we deal with these high-level satanic angels, even though they're, they're evil, they're still angelic majesties. But the archangel Michael when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they did not understand, the things which they did not know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by things they are destroyed. So we see even the highest ranking heavenly angel, Michael, did not revile Satan. It was the Lord rebuke you. In Zechariah 3, we see it again. Then he showed me Joshua, the highest priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand and accused him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So we've got to get in the habit, too, as we move past what John Paul Jackson told us in spiritual warfare, we have to be very careful. If we're coming against something, like somebody opened a satanic Bible and brought in something high level, especially with a blood ritual, we got to petition Jesus now. That's how we get around this. We don't use spiritual authority petitioning. So this is used for high-level spiritual warfare and exorcism. Never used in deliverance prayers of liberation. So when you're dealing with the occult, satanic ritual abuse, and high-level witchcraft, this prayer is a good opening format for petitioning Jesus. The only time a deliverance minister should have to use this prayer, they find themselves working with a former occult member and not an occult survivor, which I'll specify here. 
In this event, the deliverance minister needs to seek a legitimate exorcist for resistance. resistance. So I separated them. Um, exorcism is going to be used on a former occult member, but not a former child occult survivor. There's two different things going on here. One is the ritual abuse child survivor is now an adult did not subjugate themselves at Satan. Their parents did or some other person did it. So they were violated. They were not subjugated. The occult member subjugated. They allowed it. They allowed this to come in. Therefore, they have to have an exorcism, which look more, when those spirits come out, it's a lot more violent. And then we have to go through and renounce all their fetishes and all the, everything, the spell books, everything they did, and release them from it, make sure the spirits are gone from that and the spells, and then burn the stuff. So it's something different. So when we start this, we need to... Well, that's it for that. It cut off suddenly. I remember because we were recording not off a phone, but we were, or we were recording with a camera. We only had like 27 minutes on a camera for a digital camera. It shuts itself off. Remember those days? <laughs> doesn't happen anymore, right? I don't know. I record strictly off of a um, computer now. But yeah, it, it cut off abruptly, and that was the end of that. I hope the information was pretty um, enlightening and helping you guys understand what spiritual warfare ministry is. I hope we actually go back. Adrian, Adrian, if we do this, we should get back together and finish this course, all right? Let's redo it. I know how to record now. I got audio equipment. Let's do this. So if you're out there, Adrian, listening, I got to hold you too. I just got to get a hold of you just to catch up. Anyhow, um, yeah, this is just a, a nod and a salute to you as I publish this because I don't think this should have been shelved somewhere in the in the internet. This had to, this information had to get out even though it was raw, right? <laughs> it's too funny. Anyhow, um, again, if you want to get more information on this, go to my website, www.afg2sw.com, a field guide to spiritual warfare.com. And the books are there. And just, like I said, pick them up. Um, Cosmology and Demonology are my latest books. Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. Pick that one up. That's going to explain everything about the heavenly realms. And it's going to be a super eye-opener, I guarantee you. It's not going to be anything you've ever read before in a deliverance book. We're trying to um, shore up stuff here because a lot of deliverance mythology out there right now about angelology and demonology, and I'm trying to shore this up now. Anyhow, um, yeah, just if you like this, like us on YouTube, hit the like button. If you like us on Spotify, hit the like button, write a review, help us out. If you buy the book, you know, cosmology and demonology, right of you, help me out. You know, we're, we're small time. We're small peanuts here. And any little help we can get, we're not trying to be a giant ministry. We just don't need to crawl along here. And any help we can get would be great. Also, I am taking off in January for a ministry trip, a covert one with my friend Cindy McGill. You know, she goes in dark places. Um, I'm trying to raise funds to get myself where she's going because I like to be the spiritual warfare anchor for her and also do prophetic ministry to where she's going. Again, we go to very dark places. We don't advertise where we're going. And it's just, it's always phenomenal. I've been to Burning Man. I've been to porn conventions. <gasps> what, Mike, you're an exorcist. You went to porn convention? Yeah, I went with Cindy to porn convention. I heaven forbid where she drags me to. But the people we find at Impact, we've got people out of that stuff. You know, it's just flipping amazing. So when I was reached out to be invited to go again with her, I haven't been in a while. I go, oh yeah, I'll go, <laughs> right? Like, oh, what I get myself into? We're going somewhere dark again. Anyhow, it's just so phenomenal if you just put yourself out there. And these are incredible ministers I'm sent out with. You know, you don't see these people on the Elijah list outside of Cindy, right? <laughs> She's on there. But it's just ministers you never meet. It's the homegrown ministers that God raised up in different communities. And these people just, we become lifelong friends when we do this stuff. 
So yeah, um, if you'd like to help me out there and go, I'd appreciate it because I'm a small peanuts ministry. Um, you can send a donation, PayPal at my 51C3 account, m16ministries at gmail.com. And that will get here. And at the um, beginning of next year, I'll send you a uh, tax exempt for that. I know some people sent already. We're still trying to get there. I really, really appreciate it. I haven't been able to respond to other people. I've been going through surgery and other stuff lately. You sent money. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. I haven't had time to respond, and I apologize. It's been a very busy past couple months. And maybe my dad passed away, and then I went through um, another knee replacement surgery. So both my knees have been replaced now. Good time. So I'm rehabbing from that and just being dangerous on the microphone, the missionary at the microphone. Anyhow, love you guys. And we will check in with you later from the M16 bunker. Till then, God bless. We love you.